If you're good at something, never do it for free. You're my older brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. I bought you. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Podfellas Entertainment Podcast, where it's just two friends talking about their love of film and television. I'm Myron Kim, and joining me each week is William Kill. Each episode, we will review a movie and do a deeper dive into a related topic. Today, we will be reviewing A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, followed by a look at some of our favorite Tom Hanks performances. But before we get into uh, that, uh, how was your week? Uh, week was good. It was uh, busy, busy, busy. Things are hectic around the house, getting ready for the holidays and Thanksgiving. Um, still found some time to watch some good TV. Um, Anything good? Well, my wife and I started watching this show called Fleabag, which uh, won a few Emmys for, for Best Actress, also for uh, best, best Comedy. Wasn't quite sure what to to make of the subject matter when I first heard about it. Basically, it's it's a woman living in England who's addicted to sex and does these terrible things like steal money from her parents and from the guys that she dates. But it's like you kind of see what she's going through and you don't necessarily hate her for it. You understand it. And it's like really dark comedy. So my wife and I started watching it and like the first minute of the show, she breaks the fourth wall and starts talking to the audience. So you are basically in her head and you're experiencing everything as she experiences it. The show kind of goes a little absurdist at times with uh, a lot of crazy things happening, but it's still like kind of all within the realm of the show and the tone of the show. Uh, what's really, really cool is the uh, the actress, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who an Emmy for the show I was also uh, the creator and the main writer of the show um, she is absolutely absolutely amazing in it very nice yeah what about you what have I been watching lately oh I, I, I re-watched uh, Avengers Age of Ultron with with my girlfriend really yeah that... she she didn't see it actually she hasn't seen it which was weird because she's a huge Marvel fan but yeah interesting so I mean, I remember when that movie first came out, it was kind of a bit of a letdown after the first Avengers. So mm-hmm. watching it, what, what was your take? How did you feel about it? I enjoyed it. I will say Age of Ultron was one of the weaker films, for sure, of the Avengers. Um, but James Spader was pretty cool, right? That voice. <laughs> no? Ultron's voice. I don't know. It just didn't really hit me as hard as, as uh, Endgame. Endgame was Oh, yeah. Well, great. Endgame is... is huge yeah yeah actually i heard disney is making a pretty big oscar push for all categories they're trying to get their actors nominated the director everybody wow. if you think about it the performances were actually quite good in that no yeah yeah it was so that one is like epic love and marvel what they're doing these days it's great to see um that even after um endgame that they have a plan of what's about to come out with their tv shows and the movies coming out Anyway, switching gears over to our main film review of the day. Like we mentioned before, we will be doing a review on A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. So here is a quick look at the trailer. Mr. Rogers, I'm here to interview you. It is so nice to meet you. You okay? Profiling Mr. Rogers. Lloyd, please don't ruin my childhood. This piece will be for an issue about heroes. Do you consider yourself a hero? We are trying to give the world positive ways of dealing with their feelings. Yeah? Like what? There are many things you can do. You can play all the lowest keys on a piano at the same time. Tom Hanks portrays Mr. Rogers in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, a timely story of kindness triumphing over cynicism, 
after a jaded magazine writer, played by Emmy winner Matthew Rees, is assigned to profile of Fred Rogers, he overcomes his skepticism, learning about empathy, kindness, and decency from America's most beloved neighbor. So, well, I know you were a really big fan of the documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor, that this movie was uh, semi-based on. So uh, I know you had a lot of high expectations going into the, the film. Did this movie meet your expectations? Yeah, I, I definitely would say it did. I, I did get emotional towards the end. It, it was a little bit of a, almost a tearjerker for me, you know, fun little Easter eggs too. Yeah. I mean, what about you? Uh, I liked the film overall. Um, it, it was very interesting. I mean, first off, uh, I don't think I'm giving anything away when we say the movie really isn't about Mr. Rogers. It's not a true biopic. It's about, uh, well, the movie is centered more on the, uh, the journalist character that's hired to do a piece on uh, Mr. Rogers. So the entire movie is seen from the uh, journalist's point of view. But the, the way the movie is staged, it's almost like an episode of, of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. The show opens where basically it feels like we're looking at a, a TV screen, the, the format and dimensions of a traditional Mr. Rogers episode. So it's a four by three screen. It's almost as if you're, you're watching everything on a CRT television. And, you know, Tom Hanks doesn't, comes in, he does his perfect Mr. Rogers impression. And he says, this episode is going to be about helping his friend Lloyd, you know, forgive his dad and how he is, has his baggage and he's going to have to let it go. So uh, it's framed in the sense of, of watching an episode. But there are some very interesting things that the director does here. It's almost as if the movie exists in two worlds. We have the Mr. Rogers episode, and it's framed the way the television show was. Like I said, four by three colors feel very much like they're from the 80s. And then there's the real world, which is a world that our lead character Lloyd lives in. For that, you know, he's living in New York, uh, loud, trafficking New York. Um, and, you know, we're, we're looking at uh, the aspect ratio of the screen. It's, it's back to 16 by nine. And then uh, it's almost as if. Mr. Rogers lives in one world and Lloyd lives in the other. And I think there are some really great moments of conflict when we see uh, Mr. Rogers enter this real world and vice versa. When we see Lloyd in a dream sequence um, appear within the show. So I think one of the things that they're getting at is uh, all of us, we're so cynical and we um, are, are very jaded, have a lot of baggage. And even to us, it's almost as if someone like Mr. Rogers wouldn't really be able to exist um, in, in, in a world like today. But I think one of the things this movie gets at is true goodness, not only can it exist in the real world, but it's very much needed. And I think that's kind of the main point of this movie for me. Um, you know, goodness prevails. Goodness is, is real. It's still out there and uh, people need it. And if people offer it willingly, then it can change the people around them. I mean, I was fine with Tom Hanks' performance. Um, this, this wasn't a true biopic in that you know, we don't really see what makes him tick. Uh, I mean, when the when the movie starts, it, we see Mr. Rogers in his fully formed, fleshed out version already. So in that sense, I feel like Tom Hanks wasn't really given much space to operate. We basically see him kind of almost doing a caricature performance of Tom of of Mr. Rogers yeah, sure. from the moment when he walks in the door and you know changes his jacket, puts on his little sweater, and puts on his shoes. It's pretty much he was mimicking Mr. Rogers, but I did appreciate a couple of scenes, and these were moments where I think Tom kind of got to play. Uh, you know, what is Mr. Rogers thinking? What is going on on the inside? The first is when um, Lloyd is, well, he, first off, he feels like maybe Mr. Rogers has kind of made a project out of him. He's trying to give him help when uh, the journalist Lloyd doesn't even really want the help. So um, 
you know, Lloyd Vogel starts firing back, oh, you have sons, right? It must have been really hard for them to grow up as Mr. Rogers' sons. You could tell that that Mr. Rogers, Fred, was was very uncomfortable giving any details out about his family, and he had this look of hurt on his face. And, you know, he, he gives a heartfelt, true answer, um, basically that everything kind of worked out, but it wasn't always easy. But that I think that was the first time we kind of started to see a crack in the in the image of what Mr. Rogers is to, to the world. Interesting. And, and you got, kind of got to see uh, 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 the burden that he carries, you know. So there was just a slight glimpse into that. Um, There's a little bit of pain there. And then later on, there is a scene where Mr. Rogers is playing piano by himself, and he's playing this this piece. And earlier on in the film, he talks about how sometimes, you know, when he gets angry, he plays a few loud, wrong notes on the piano, and that kind of helps him get over it. And we see him do that at the end, and then we start to maybe ask ourselves a question, what kind of a burden does Mr. Rogers carry? He's always has to be somebody for the world. Who does he lean lean on? Who does he turn to? You know, and then you know, I think the way the the ending was framed with with a few scenes, not only the piano scene, but with a few scenes um, with Chris Cooper who played uh, Lloyd Vogel's father. Uh, you know, after we saw the movie, I was asking Will, are they alluding to the fact that that he died of cancer and maybe he knows about it at this point? So I, I don't want to get too much into the details of the ending. So that's one thing that I actually don't want to spoil. But um, yeah, I, I really did appreciate the performance. There was a few things that I did not like about the movie. Um, I thought the story behind Lloyd um, and his issues with his father, though it was executed well, I felt that as though, I mean, we've seen it before and it was slightly heavy handed. And in the way that they portrayed it and in the issues that he had, I did identify with it quite a bit. I yeah, remember. I did too. Yeah. So I, I had an interesting that you feel that way. Yeah. I, 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 I'm very, yeah, I'm very familiar with that father son situation yeah. personally. Yeah. And I know you are too. So I'm, I'm very surprised that you would say that. So I think, though, whenever I see it on film, I feel like it deserves more weight and it needs to be handled a certain way. I, I don't know what it is because everyone has daddy issues and i think whenever we see that played out on tv we kind of project a little bit of ourselves on the characters uh, i had a harder time doing that here the scenes that i did appreciate was when um you know matthew Rees, who plays lloyd uh we see the the tension he has with his wife we know he wants to be a good man and a good father but there's always that that question like it, you know I didn't like my dad growing up, but the more and more I try to not be like him, the more and more I realize that sometimes I am like him. And as much as you say you don't want to be like your dad, sometimes you see parts of him coming out, or in my case, as I'm a father now, you know, and that's it's kind of scary, but it's something that I think we all face. And I think that was something the movie handled very, very, very well. So I did appreciate that. Uh, should um, we talk about our daddy issues? I feel like there's some yes. tension building right now. Yeah, should we, should we get a therapist on here? After a quick break, <laughs> that's not a bad idea. It yeah. was it was intense. It's crazy how personal that I got from it. How personal it was for me, and and yeah, yeah, just just how the for Lloyd's character to man when his dad was reaching out and how walled off he was and how hard it was for that wall to be torn down for Lloyd's character. Mm-hmm. Man, I I felt that. There is a scene where Mr. Rogers uh, has lunch with Lloyd. And then Mm, he he asks Lloyd to just take a moment and think about all the people that loved him into being. 
And then the scene was shot beautifully. And this is kind of one of those little Easter egg scenes that Will was talking mm-hmm. about. Because if you watch the scene, there are a lot of real life persons in Mr. Rogers' life that are in this this dining room scene at, at a restaurant. Don't give it away. Don't give yeah. it away. I won't give too much of it away. But it's shot well. And there's almost like a... Goosebumps. S- yeah, goosebumps. Surreal element to it. So good. But it was the scene itself was so understated that, I mean... I feel like there needed to be a lot more accomplished there because right after that was when Lloyd calls his dad and says, you know, I'm going to come out and see you. And then he talks to his wife and he tells her, I need to solve these issues so I can be a better father. And that that is a whole lot of uh, of changing happening mm. as a result of a scene that kind of was more... The transition could have been better. Yeah. The build up. There needed to be a stronger... A motivation for the for Lloyd to um, change his colors, you know. Yeah. And you knew it was coming, but I felt that as though, oh, okay, he's calling his dad. Oh, he's talking to his wife now. Great, this is what we were hoping for. But whatever happened in that scene, it wasn't necessarily enough for me to believe that change to happen so quickly. That that was one of probably my more crucial flaws of the film. But I mean, overall, I mean, we're we're pretty much nitpicking here yeah go ahead i, I mean i was gonna also mention too what was I, I thought what was cool about the film was as it was structured at, uh, of an ep- as an episode of of a beautiful day in the neighborhood it's, it's geared towards children you know it's, it's geared towards kids who he's always trying to help with them identifying that they are special that they're unique that 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 they are accepted right but how it was focusing on an adult and and also like because even though you know the fact that the children are important adults we still have our issues as well we still have uh things to go through and i thought it was kind of refreshing to 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 be reminded even even from fred Rogers, like from this uh film that like yeah yeah he can still help he's not just here for kids like he he can help adults too and i kind of got that feeling too which like I say, you know, it's like you're seeing a therapist, but not really from from what Fred Rogers does. And it was it was nice. It was it was endearing. And and I man, like I said, yeah, I was almost close to brought to tears at the end of the film. The one part I said, I, I will say that I almost was like it, it just struck me kind of like to a moment where I thought, wow, this is a powerful scene for me was when um, Lloyd was he woke up, you know, four in the morning, his, his, uh, his son was crying takes his son out of the, you know, the crib and and he's at his father's house uh, and, and he's and his dad's awake too and it's 4 a.m. in the morning and, and he's holding his baby and he's going to his uh, going to his father and he's asking like oh like what are you doing up and his dad's like oh I don't can't sleep now with, with you know with what I'm going through and whatnot and and the, and the words that um, Chris Cooper said was like you know I, I, I never I, I never, never did that I with never you. did that with you and he was like what like doing the whole mom thing and you know like holding you and taking care and and he just saw that like it was such a powerful scene to me to see a father yeah. who neglected his family yeah. to see now his son doing what he's what his father should have done when he was a child yeah i mean there's th- there's three generations of men right there you know um and then the what oldest one yeah the oldest one is dying and then the youngest is was just born what a circle that's like a, like a circle of life yeah kind of thing. it's a that was a very profound moment I, I heard some sniffles in the in the theater as well like people I like hearing around me I was just yeah. like wow yeah this yeah. was that was amazing 
Yeah. So, what is this movie about to you? What What is the main theme? If you If there was one takeaway, what is the director trying to get across? Uh, we're not perfect people. There's a lot of uh, like we're cynical people in the world, and how, but that can change. That 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 you can um, look at life differently. It was a repairing of a father and a son's relationship that was so uh, that was so broken. Uh, that and really the whole uh, frame of the situation can be relatable to in, in anyone's case of situations that they go through. Right? If something's broken, how do you mend it? How do you repair it? Uh, especially when it's been neglected for so many years especially when when like you you just forget um how to love or how, forget how to forgive or or choose not to forgive so it is about hope um and and, and a father-son relationship but more importantly like how there is a lot of bad in the world there are, there is a lot of hurt in the world but 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 more importantly though there's still hope so that that was my time yeah. my take away from it who cool. are you uh for me it's uh the idea that kindness still changes people especially as the world gets more and more cynical kindness acts a little bit as as a light first of all let me let me backtrack a little bit in the establishing shots that are taking place in the real world they were created from what looks like miniatures and uh, one of the first shots that we saw was a, an establishing shot of New York, and uh, we see the Twin Towers are still up. So right away, we know that this is a, a pre-9-11 movie, a time where people were far more trusting, a time when, you know, we talk a lot about neighbors here. You look at your neighbor and you trust them. You say, won't you be my neighbor? Rather than, you know, post-9-11, we look at our neighbor, and if they look different from us, what, what is the first thing we do? We question them. Regardless of the time we're in, even though things are far worse in terms of cynicism and in terms of mistrust today, even you know when the movie was taking place, that there still is a place for goodness and kindness, and it still changes people. A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood is playing at a theater near you. We're going to take a little bit of a break here uh, before we start reviewing some of our favorite Tom Hanks movies in his amazing film catalog. But first, I want to play a little audio clip of one of his earlier roles from Happy Days. You forget where the park was last night? I was busy. Busy, busy, schmizzy. All right, right here, right now. <laughs> you know, it's not that I don't want to play tether ball with your head, but I made a promise I'm not about to break. Well, I made a promise 17 years ago that I was going to mop up the floor with you, so let's go! <laughs> you need a little more incentive? Okay. Your mother swims after troop ships. And that face, your neck should be arrested for carrying around a lethal weapon. 17 years, you come up with a lot of these. So, well, you might be too young for this, but back in the early 80s, uh, Tom Hanks was on a show called Bosom Buddies, where he dressed up as a woman in order to pay cheaper rent because the place him and his friend wanted to live at was an all-women's apartment complex. I, I actually yeah. have only which seen is like, stills of yeah, that. Which is like the worst reason ever to dress up in drag, but it was the concept for a comedy and hilarity ensues, as they say. So it was actually quite fun. When you say I'm too young, yeah. does that make you old? Yes, it makes me old. <laughs> Don't ask how old I am. I, I'm old enough to remember early 80s sitcoms and how terrible they were. But they were actually 
so terrible that it goes full circle and ends up becoming actually good. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, other than that... Um... It's a little bit like The Room. It's so bad, it's actually kind of good. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so before we dive into talking about Tom Hanks and some of our favorite moments from his uh, film career, why is he so likable? Why has Tom Hanks, in an age where A-list actors descend and become B and C-list actors, how has he stood the test of time? Why is he still so loved today? You you know what? You start off. I want, I'm curious to see because, you know, you've been around longer than I have. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, I, I, buddies, I mean, I think Tom Hanks has, has made a career of playing up this boyish charm that he's had. I don't think he's ever lost it. I mean, back in the early 80s, he was basically still like a kid. Um, but as he grew up, there was a certain charm that he had, um, this certain innocence that he had that whenever you watch him, you can't help but not be cynical. And he's made a career of it. I mean, he literally played a kid that turned into an adult in big. He has made a career of just capitalizing on that boyish charm that he has. And even as he's as even though he's gotten older and, and a little bit more gray, he still manages to to keep that charm. He has made a career playing Woody in across what, four films? You know, and he's probably in his sixties by now, but he's still playing a little toy. Yeah, sixty three. Yes. And he still has that energy and that charisma to be able to pull that off. And I think as he's as the years have gone and as the decades have passed, that charm is still there and it allows him to play characters like Forrest Gump, who is so dumb that he's that he's maintained a sense of innocence. I mean, can you think of anybody else that could have played that part? No. I in, interestingly enough, Forrest Gump was the first film I believe if I can remember uh that I saw Tom Hanks in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I I thought he spoke like I thought he talked like that in real life. <laughs> I mean, man, man, granted, this was back in '94, so uh, I was what I was probably like eight years old, mm-hmm. and so I thought, oh, this guy's a good act. This guy's a good actor, but he has a weird voice. And the moment I watched uh, Saving Private Ryan, uh, then I was like, hey, why is that guy's voice? What the heck? Why is his voice different? I literally thought, yeah, so I know. I Basically, your, the answer is no. Yeah. Because he, he did a great job. Yeah. I mean, in the early 80s, breaking through from TV to film, um, you know, 80s, you associated with the time of the, the buff, muscular superhero guys like Arnold and Sly. And then here you have Tom Hanks, who is slowly creating his own little niche of roles, playing the the everyman, the identifiable man, the funny guy, you know, and he is just kind of taking that. It's evolved over time to, to kind of what, what he is now. Can you think of anyone else that could have played Mr. Rogers? I don't think so. Tom Hanks has that built-in credibility, likability, um, the ability to remove any sort of cynicism from someone watching his performance. Hmm. He has taken what was so appealing about him early on in his career and has kind of developed it, matured it um, to the point where now, I mean, literally people are saying if he were to run for president, he would win in a landslide. There was an episode of Saturday Night Live where uh, Dwayne Johnson was hosting. I think this was last year 
where Dwayne Johnson kind of, as a joke, said he's going to run for president. And then Tom Hanks walked out and he says Tom Hanks is going to be his, his uh, running mate. You know? and, it, and it's kind of funny to think of it that way. And it's like, okay, I vote for Tom Hanks and not you, bro. But um, it, it was funny. you know. And, he did, well, he did say in Rolling Stone magazine that he was a geek, a spaz. He was horribly, painfully, terribly shy. Um, he was the guy that yelled out funny captions during film strips. And and he never got into trouble. He said that he was uh, always a really good kid and pretty responsible. So mm. kind of shows, you know, that his, his character that he plays also kind of reflects just the innate personality that he is. Mm. Just that good yeah. moral Likeability. compass. I remember there was a, uh, I forgot where I read it, but basically he was going for a jog in Central Park and then saw that a couple just got married and they were taking some wedding photos there. So what did he do? He crashed their wedding photos. He took photos of them. He's sweaty. He was just running. But that's that's like such a Tom Hanks thing to do, you know? Mr. Approachable. Mr. I'm going to be in your wedding photos. Do you think you know? uh, Hugh Jackman kind of followed up with that, with the elevator thing, you know? And I mean, probably. Try, try yeah. Another good dude. <laughs> Another good yeah. wholehearted man. Yeah. Mr. Rogers, Tom Hanks, Hugh Jackman, you know, good people. Anyway, so Will and I, we gave ourselves a homework assignment. We were each given a movie, and uh, we would pick out our favorite Tom Hanks moment from those movies. And though we tried to pick separate movies, there was a little overlap here in that we were both adamant that we would both talk about Forrest Gump. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe we should alternate on this. So first movie is Saving Private Ryan. Hey, so Captain, what about you? I mean, you don't gripe at all? I don't gripe to you, Ryvan. I'm a captain. It's a chain of command. Gripes go up, not down. Always up. You gripe to me. I gripe to my superior officer. So on, so on, so on. I don't gripe to you. I don't gripe in front of you. You should know that as a ranger. I'm sorry, sir, but uh, let's say you weren't a captain, or maybe I was a major. What would you say then? Well, in that case, I say this is an excellent mission, sir, with an extremely valuable objective, sir. Worthy of my best efforts, sir. Moreover, I feel heartfelt sorrow for the mother of Private James Ryan. I'm willing to lay down my life and the lives of my men, especially you, Ryden, to ease her suffering. So let me ask you this. What was your favorite Tom Hanks moment in that movie? Kind of cliche, but it was the end, towards the end, where he's taking you know, a few of his last breaths. Make it worth it. Is that what he says? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Well, he was, just, he, was, he was just quiet shooting at the tank before before yeah. the plane comes in and that it just explodes badass. and yeah. just you know like he's just a man who who will accomplish anything for the for the sake of justice and good and whatnot but yeah, what a powerful what a powerful moment for me I, I just like love the fact that he did his job to save just a, a kid who was the last of a mother's uh, set of, of sons that all died in the war and 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 he just you know <laughs> fought till the end yeah yeah, I love that scene. You know, that was one movie that I thought, as great as Saving Private Ryan was, I think it's probably on my list of top twenty films. It was mm -hmm. the it was. I'm very, a fan of military mostly, though. Yeah. Like I said, World War history yeah. films. Like I'm just a fan in general. It, it was a very on the nose movie in that um, they weren't going for subtlety very much, and and I mean it's a war movie, so you don't necessarily have to. But everything was kind of very on the nose from the moment where the movie opens and. We see an old man walking the cemetery, and then we see him just stumble 
uh, to the ground and then we see the war through his eyes. I feel like the entire movie was very much on the nose. But, you know, I was talking with you about this earlier. It's one of those things where Spielberg and Tom Hanks are the perfect pairing because if, if Spielberg has had any sort of criticism yeah. o- over his film career, it's that he might be a little bit too emotionally manipulative. Uh, not very subtle, I guess you could say. But I think that's the cynical side of the moviegoer watching his films. Yeah. And, and just like we talked about, Tom Hanks removes any sort of cynicism because you trust him completely. Any movie he's in, you know? Yep. So I felt like this was one pairing that, that worked perfectly for Saving Private Ryan. And it won five Oscars. Yeah, it did. But it didn't win Best Picture. <laughs> no, it didn't. for some WTF reason, Shakespeare in Love won. <laughs> Which I still don't know what the hell happened. I don't know. I don't know either, honestly. But I, what I can, what I do know is, when I was in, uh, when I was in film school, the coolest thing was my, my editing professor. Hmm. Uh, you he, went to Spielberg's uh, college, right? Yeah. For film school, I say Long Beach. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess if you want to call it that, like it's Steven Spielberg's school, you really just kind of went there because his kids wouldn't go to freaking college, so he just decided to. All right, fine. I'll get a degree and. Yeah, I just I don't know freaking I think from what I heard I, I believe he said his senior thesis like or uh, yeah it was was freaking a scene from Schindler's <laughs> List I'm like what the freak are you kidding me right now yeah. so but anyways uh, my editing professor yeah he um, actually uh, he knew Michael Kahn or I think he still knows Michael Kahn uh, which is Steven Spielberg's editor. go-to editor and uh, I believe he uh, he said that he was at uh, Michael invited him over and said, "Hey, take a look at this this scene." And it was the beginning scene of uh, Saving Private Ryan when they're in Normandy, or not the beginning scene, but the, the during the scene of Normandy when they all come in to, to the fight scene, the battle scene. It was so many, so much chaos going on. And I believe he played it for him without sound. There's no sound yet, and they're just looking at it as professional editors. And my and my professor watched it. After, as the scene was done, he stops the clip, looks over to my professor, and Michael says. Uh, asks like what do you think and and my professor goes mike if you need help carrying your oscars down you know from the po- like from the podium like just let me know and i'll help you out like he just like they just knew like wow this is this film okay so for you big we're going back to 
uh, I would say maybe two or three months ago, my wife had never seen this film. So I said, you have to watch this. So we watched it in 4K on my TV because they had just released a new 4K transfer of it. And she absolutely loved it. So it's just a good, is it, it's just a good wholesome movie. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. And we were realizing this, you know, Penny Marshall directed this movie. This movie is about a kid that wakes up one day and is an adult. And then he gets, you know, he learned, he uses his, uh, the ability to be in touch with his inner child um, to make it big at a toy company. Uh, he finds a girl, uh, gets a girlfriend. And if you think about it, there's so many kind of elements that could have come out kind of creepy, if you would say. You know, he he, he has that, that, you know, sex scene with the older lady. And if Every you really think about it. Yeah. 13 year old. Yeah. He's 13, right? So this is. <laughs> kind of iffy if you really think about it but then but the, but the musical cue yeah, is so the musical good. cues are so good <laughs> and penny marshall was a master of tone in this movie in that the funny moments were truly funny and in any moment that could be kind of creepy there's a hint of humor in it that kind of diffuses the situation so uh sorry I, I know i'm on a tangent going back to tom Hanks. sure yes i mean it sounds, it sounds it's a little cynical i will yeah. i have to admit it's a little this is just a little bit cynical how yeah. you're portraying like the creepiness of it but honestly it's just like it's such a and once again humorous film yeah tom Hanks diffuses any cynicism yeah. you know so um i i think the assignment was that we would have to talk about our favorite performance or favorite scene in yeah. the movie i this was the only movie that we went over that i could not pick one favorite scene uh, if i remember correctly he was actually nominated for an academy award there are so many good scenes. That that piano scene is incredible. That is, I think, one of my favorite scenes ever. Piano lessons. Three years. movie i know this is a favorite of yours another movie directed by steven spielberg talk to me about catch me if you can i'm really sorry if i made a fool out of you i really am uh no no listen, no I no really am. I you you do not feel sorry for me the truth is i knew it was you now maybe i didn't get the cuffs on you but i knew oh, people only know what you tell them carl well then tell me this barry allen secret service how did you know i wouldn't look in your wallet the same reason the Yankees always win. Nobody can keep their eyes off the pinstripes. The Yankees win because they have Mickey Mantle. No one ever bets on the uniform. <sighs> you sure about that, Carl? I'll tell you what I am sure of. You're gonna get caught. One way or another. It's a mathematical fact. It's, it's like Vegas. Tell me about your favorite Tom Hanks moment in Catch Me If You Can. The scene... Actually, it's kind of spread out. My favorite scene was just Tom Hanks's consistent nagging of asking, "How'd you do it, Frank? How'd you pass the bar?" <laughs> Is that your Boston accent? <laughs> How'd you pass the bar? How'd you pass the bar? <laughs> How'd you pass the bar? <laughs> I don't know what it was about that scene, but it was. 
I, I just I just love that moment where how he was just so flabbergasted of of because this is also inspired by a true story and 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 his unwillingness to let go of 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 him finding out like of, of all the things that like he was assigned to do was just to bring him in like the one thing that was just bothering him <laughs> the entire time was how did you pass the bar no say say with the accent <laughs> no, it's, uh, i've on. already done it how did you pass the bar <laughs> To me, it it it, it kind of showed a sign of like them continuing to to gr actually grow a friendship, a relationship. Like Tom yeah. saw, there him. was a respect there Huge for what respect. this guy was able to do. Yeah, and, and and how Leo's character was constantly just being around the bush. Like it's like Tom was saying, like, look, I'm here to help you, right? Like, hey, I'm I'm here as your friend. But but then you know with with Leo's character Frank like he had trust issues obviously so I don't know you're you're the FBI like how do I know this isn't a trap whatever but like just like you said Tom's always the diffuser of being being you know the 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 guy who just yeah. you just kind of yield to because he's such a good guy kind of thing yeah. even even as an FBI agent kind of yeah. thing yeah. and and um, actually I guess I will add to where he saves his life towards the end saying you know don't uh, towards where he says don't go out there. They will shoot you, you know, like trying to really help um, with with a Frank's uh, situation. But yeah, I, I just the overall tone and the the overall um, just the overall film was so much fun to watch. And and me being the guy who just loves to research afterwards and be more fascinated with with the whole back end of the story and the actual real life uh -huh. of, of these characters. Yeah, he did a great job. Is there a favorite performance moment? Oh, I don't know why. I can't explain this why. I just, <laughs> I also still love just this this scene where they're on the plane. They finally catch Frank, and Tom has his eclair on 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 his table tray, and and Leo's like, "You gonna eat the eclair?" It's like, "Yeah." It's like, "Well, why why aren't you eating?" It's like, I'm "Saving it for later." Can I have it? No. <laughs> Can I have half of it? Come on, Frank. How'd you pass the box? <laughs> <laughs> Love that scene. <laughs> it was such a great moment between the two of them. It just—it was so good. So yeah. yeah. And I think that in itself, that scene is an encapsulation of their characters. It is. You know, Carl is someone that is like you know waits. He's he's reasonable. Mm -hmm. I'm, I have this thing. I'm going to say it. You know. And then you you have uh, Leo, Frank, who is like, I'm going to eat this right now. I'm going to enjoy it right now. Give mm -hmm. it to me right now. You know. And then and he takes the bite and he's like, I'll find out how you pass the ball. I'll find out. <laughs> out. Um, he made that eclair. I think also that eclair looks so freaking good. <laughs> yeah. It looks so good. I just really wanted to eat it. Yeah. This is Mask Alabama. We are an unarmed freighter. We have two skiffs approaching with armed intruders. Potential piracy situation. Copy, Alabama. You should alert your crew and get your fire hoses ready. Uh, yeah, is that it? Chances are it's just fishermen. They're not here to fish. Yes, so... Are in... you the captain now? I am the captain now. Okay. So in this movie, actually, is one of my most favorite comics moments in his entire career so i know will i know you said you haven't seen this movie i haven't uh, but i'm sure you've heard about the story of the somali pirates i remember 
I think the first time I heard about the story was uh, they were making fun of it on the Tonight Show with with Jay Leno, and you know, he was asking the question that everyone else did: How did a group of Somali pirates on this little boat manage to hijack a gigantic transport ship? It didn't make any sense, right? Well, Paul Greengrass, he of uh, Jason Bourne fame, decided to tell a story about how this happened. You know, we see that we, as we watch the movie, it's a story of, of a bunch of just regular average Joes and how they managed to survive and basically um, get through this ordeal. And at the end of the movie, Tom Hanks plays Captain Phillips and he has survived and everything is okay and he's back with um, his own people and he's being examined. And this is the first time where he's had a moment to breathe and kind of re- recollect on the things that just happened. And then there is a doctor who's cutting his shirt away. So at one point, and I think he gained some weight for this role. So he's gray haired, he's shirtless, he's, you know, getting examined, he's bloody, and he just starts to cry. And he's trying to hold the tears back. And um, it's this first time where it sinks in. I just survived. I could have died. And he's saying things like, does, does my wife know? Did you guys tell my wife? And then the doctor keeps saying, you're safe now. You're safe now. And he's and he cries and tries to hold back the tears. And it was, it's a little bit of a showy moment, but it's just so real. And it just kind of really puts you in the shoes of someone, of an average person, and what they could be feeling having survived something like that. Can you tell me what's going on? Yeah, uh, I'm okay. Are you okay? Because you don't look okay. Are you in any pain right now? Are you in any pain uh, right now? Uh, right there on your side. Okay, let me see it really quick. Can you lift up your arm a little bit? Does that hurt? A little bit? A little bit. Okay, is it tender? Go ahead and put your arm down. Okay, I need you to look at me. I need you to calm down. I need you to breathe. There you go. Deep breaths. There you go. Very good. Awesome. Now I want you to relax your arm. Okay, we're gonna put this little thing on your finger and we're gonna get your heart rate and your oxygen level. Make sure you're breathing okay. Okay. I want you to keep doing that, okay? And it's kind of funny, you know, Paul Greengrass is known for uh, that, that shaky camera with a million cameras rolling where you're not quite sure what's going on. And it was, it worked very effectively in the Jason Bourne movies, but Paul Greengrass used that type of camera work to basically make Matt Damon a superhero, a super spy who is is basically unstoppable he uses those same tools to really show the effects of what just happened on an ordinary man and and what kind of toll this would take so it's very very interesting to see a director that uses the same shooting style to accomplish two completely different goals so yeah that's it my favorite tom hanks moment so our last film for both of us we actually picked the same one yep well, technically, we were supposed to pick our own, but I mean, how do you go wrong with Forrest Gump? And we all have our own Forrest Gump can, moments. Can you, can you do your best Forrest Gump impression? I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. <laughs> it, was, it was very heartfelt when you looked at me and you said that. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I believe you. <laughs> cool. Well, um, so... Do you, what was your favorite? The funny thing is, there are many very smart people that don't know what love is. That is true. Ah, that, that is yes. true. Philosophy. Yes. <laughs> uh, what was your favorite? All right, my favorite moment in that movie was this quiet little moment where um, I would say the 
I think it's about maybe an hour and a half uh, in where Jenny comes back into his life and um, lets Forrest know that he now has a son. And we see these words sink in and the entire movie so far, we've seen how amazing it is. What an amazing life that he's lived. You know, he is not the smartest guy, but he's done so much in his life more than probably you know, people do in a, in a lifetime or a hundred people do in, a, in their lifetimes combined. The reason why I love this movie so much, this moment so much is not once through the entire film after living this incredible life, um, did you ever get a sense of regret or did you ever get a sense of Forrest knows that he's not smart and he is embarrassed and bothered by it. Um, oh, such a good scene, yeah, actually. But yeah. this is like the only time we see that in the entire movie because when she says he's yours, he stops, and I think this was the Oscar moment. I mean, the entire movie was very much just like a showcase, but mm -hmm. this quiet little moment where it starts to sink in, he starts to process, and the first thing that he, the only thing he can say is, is he like, is he like, like, he can't even finish the sentence. He wants to say, is he like me? His name's Forrest. Like me? I named him after his daddy. He got a daddy named Forrest, too? You're his daddy, Forrest. Hey. Forrest, look at me. Look at me, Forrest. There's nothing you need to do, okay? You didn't do anything wrong. Okay? Isn't he beautiful? It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Is, is he smart? He's very smart. He's one of the smartest in his class. And it's funny. It's like this guy lived this incredible life, but he just wants his son to be smart. And the way he played that scene it is incredible. It, I, it's such a quiet moment in such a big, loud movie, you know? Kind of like a recognition of him realizing the burden that he seems to yeah, carry. Yeah, even in the midst of it all, it reminds you that this is still a human being that you know, did all these things and doesn't, doesn't, maybe he doesn't even care that he did all these things. Maybe he would have just preferred to have lived a normal life and had to have been married to Jenny living in Greenville, Alabama his whole life. But anyway, you have to say that in his voice. Greenville, Alabama. <laughs> okay. Let's not peak the audio levels here. Okay. <laughs> anyway, your favorite scene. My scene was when Jenny passes away. And and he's at her grave and just letting him know how things are going and how his son how their son's doing and and then how he breaks down and just how the, the words when he says I miss you so much and if you ever need anything you know I'm not I'm only like a few feet away or I'm not too far away and that to me was my favorite scene because it was he this his character epitomizes what i what i see as unconditional love like mm. he because mm. we see jenny as such a messed up chick like she treated him like crap he, i mean she was she went terrible hell, to but, him yeah. right and like to me was like wow th this man is the epitome of unconditional love like it is crazy how much because i and i i think what made sense about it though was that she was his first 
friend. And, and not only, I, I know that in the in the scene when they were young. You can sit here if you want. <laughs> like peas and carrots. <laughs> but it's just how that small act of kindness she did carried, like, ca- carried that, he carried that with him forever in a sense, you know? And, and so what's crazy was like, he wasn't clingy funny enough right like like when when you see someone that's like attached all of a sudden like that when someone's that nice to you right you can see some weird creepy people who are clingy or whatever well they didn't have cell phones back then i'm sure he would have been <laughs> janae what are you doing tonight no but like <laughs> you up <laughs> even if you know but even if he had cell phones too i i i think that for tom hanks's performance and just the character that he played as forrest like he wouldn't do that he would just be hoping that like you know that, that she's safe even when he wrote a letter every single and he even told her i'll write to you every day when he was in vietnam and sadly those letters still didn't like you know obviously it didn't get to her but she got to see it later but like yeah it was just it was so sad that 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 he lost the girl that he so dearly loved but yet he still you know, got the gift of of having a son and a son that is that is intelligent, that's a t- you know a top of his class, and who sees dead people. No, <laughs> yeah, little Forrest, is, you're doing just fine. But about to start school again soon. And every night we read a book. She's so smart, Jenny. You'd be so proud of him. I am. Here, wrote you a, a letter. And he says, I can't read it. I'm not supposed to, so I just leave it here for you. Wait, let's, let's talk about Forrest Gump a little bit. And let's talk about the reasons why this movie should not have worked. And it only worked because I feel like Tom Hanks was the lead. Going back to what we talked about, the removal of cynicism. It's like, all right, so here is a movie with absolutely no antagonist. Who's the bad guy in Forrest Gump? Or who's the antagonistic force? The world. Well, in a sense, yeah. But that world doesn't really show up too often. Sure. Yeah. In that this entire movie plays like a two and a half hour montage. Quick scenes, quick scenes, quick scenes, right? So first off, the, there's no bad guy in the movie. It's a long montage it's just a ton of voiceover, right? Those are all like usually the three things that say people say will torpedo your movie, right? You have a, a passive lead character. All he does is he wants the girl, but he doesn't do anything active to get her. She just decides, oh, I love Forrest, and she comes back into his life. Well, I mean, right? obviously that's that's kind of uh, pinpointed though because of his condition. Yeah. So, like, obviously for him to flirt yeah. or whatever, he doesn't know how to do any of that. But the whole thing is he does all these miraculous things, wonderful things, and he never really tried to do it. So everything he accomplishes was by accident. Yes. Right? And so in that sense, it's like you have a passive character that only does things by accident, that pines for the girl and does nothing to actively get her. There is no bad guy in the movie. Uh, the whole thing plays as a montage with a lot of voiceover. But well, guess what? It is one of the best friggin' movies ever made. It is so incredible. It literally, I is a film. As it like, it's, it's a film. What it was meant to be a yeah. good, wholesome, entertaining film that that has no political agenda. It has no. It has no like uh, sense of like 
message of whatever like i don't know to me it was just a good film like what a film was always meant yeah. to be i i believe i i see that why forrest gump that's what made forrest gump great for me as well and you know they were talking about um forrest gump on a recent episode of the rewatchables where they were talking about the shawshank redemption if if i don't know if you guys remember but uh in this particular year in the mid 90s you yeah you had three ridiculously amazing movies that all came out the same year. You had Shawshank, you had Forrest Gump, and you had Pulp Fiction. And Forrest Gump basically won everything. And it was to the point where, you know, right now Shawshank is so beloved. Pulp Fiction is so beloved. And, um, you know, Forrest Gump got all the, the credentials and got all the honor and stuff like that that year. And for a while, it was almost as if this movie shouldn't have won. These other movies were so much better. And I think for a while, people were kind of knocking Forrest Gump to the point where now it's almost undervalued. And now people are rewatching it and they're realizing, hey, this is actually a really good movie. Well, what's interesting that you say that, though, because um, uh, Shawshank, the, the, one of the lead characters uh, next to Morgan Freeman, uh, they approach uh, Tom Hanks yeah, yeah. to play that role. So, so if Tim you, Robbins' role. Tim, yeah. Yes. So if you imagine, could you imagine if Tom Hanks yeah. actually took Shawshank? Yeah. He actually couldn't play the part because of his schedule with Forrest Gump. Well, I'm which saying, is crazy. I'm, what I'm yeah. saying though is that if you rejected Forrest Gump, they found someone else to do it or not. But if say they did find someone else to do, it, which obviously we can't yeah. imagine who, and he took Shawshank, do you think that Shawshank would have wiped and, and uh, swept up the Oscars? That is an interesting question. We don't know what know what would happen. Here's yeah, the thing: I, I only say this because he was offered that role. So Tim Robbins was great in the movie. I, I, I Andy Dufresne he played like this tall, lanky guy. I, I feel like that really played into who he was. I think if Tom Hanks played, this is purely everyone listening. This is just purely my opinion. Of course, um, Shawshank would not have been worse. Could it have been better? I don't know. Mm. But Forrest Gump would have most definitely been worse if tom hanks did not play that character i agree so that was our film review of a beautiful day in the neighborhood followed by a look at our favorite tom hanks moments next week we'll be coming back to you with another episode we will be reviewing the irishman directed by martin scorsese oh man oh yeah the master and that review will be accompanied by our top three martin scorsese moments in film really looking forward to this one Thelma Schoonmaker, I love her. Or Schoon yeah. Schoonmaker. Schoonmaker, yes. Yeah. Schoonmaker, yeah. Schoonmaker. Such a power, such a power couple. Shoemaker. Shoemaker, no. Joel Shoemaker. <laughs> no. Director of Batman and Robin. Oh, <laughs> uh, cue the Batman. Oh, I was, I was waiting for that. Never mind. So Swear this is to like, me. <laughs> no, this is the Clooney Batman. Oh. Yeah. It was Mr. Freeze. <laughs> so this is the guy to my hood in the palm of my hand. Since I got to my hold you the bottom my hand. Until next time, we are the pot fellows. <laughs>